The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything that you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, available dual wireless charging pads, ensure that you can take on any adventure. Available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud. Standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together. Available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone. I've been so pumped to take a couple of friends with our road bikes to some of the trails nearby, and now I can bring the entire crew, my dog, and all of our gear with that third row. Learn more about the new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. You're tuned in to Heat Check with Trista Crick. On this episode of the Heat Check, the trade deadline has come. The trade deadline has gone. And I am here to break down everything that I think that happened that was important from Kyrie and KD getting moved at the deadline to the most underrated trades that have happened. And that all happens on a pretty underwhelming deadline day. I also get into the looming buyout market just a tad, talking about some news around the league, including an interesting update on Zion, of course, and another NFT lawsuit involving Chef Curry. We get into that scandal as well. Lots of popping. So do me a favor, Nick, and drop that generic ass beat. Let's talk about this trade deadline, baby. I have some thoughts. First of all, let me begin by saying this. Is it just me, or was this year's trade deadline not only the most dramatic trade deadline we've ever seen, but also the least dramatic trade deadline we've ever seen? Is it just me? Because, man, it was like, boom, pow, and then, like, nothing, right? It was like Kyrie, KD, Russell Westbrook, and then Luke Kennard. You know, it was like, you're like, oh, yeah, this trade deadline is going to be fucking lit. And then you're like, oh, Reggie Jackson. Okay. Oh, uh, my guy, Matisse Thibel. Oh, okay. Like when James Wiseman is one of the more impactful trade deadline moves at the deadline, which ended up being scandalous, by the way. There's this craziness uh, in that four-team trade. But when you've got names like James Wiseman and Matisse Thibel and Reggie Jackson and a bunch of, I would consider them to be role players getting moved after what we got was the main course. You don't give us Brussels sprouts after the steak. You don't do that because it's very disappointing. We don't get dessert and steak and lobster. And then it's like, oh, yeah, also we have the Caesar salad for you. Like, no, that's not how that's that, – that's what Luke Kennard was. So Kyrie obviously demands the trade. I was in Arizona, could not really record 
uh, as much as I wanted to, but he said everything into overdrive, right? It was like, oh, my God, Kyrie's doing it. Where There's no time left on the clock. They have to move him. Where will he go? Will it be the Lakers? It will not be the Lakers. No one wants Russell Westbrook at this moment. 72 hours later, he is in Dallas, and people are like, okay, so that move happens. No way Kevin Durant gets traded, right? Like, no way. There's not enough time. There's too many suitors. There's too much complexity. And enter my guy, who I am calling Big Balls, Matt Ishbia, with one T. Matt with one T. Newly minted owner of the Phoenix Suns. And he comes in and says, fuck it. We'll do this deal. So Kevin Durant, I don't know if you guys know this, had only one destination in mind. It was only Phoenix. It was Phoenix and only Phoenix the entire time. Comes to the front office and says, look, guys, I'm exhausted. I am happy to find a way to get excited about these new guys. And I'm willing to stick it out this year. But at the end of this year, can you guys just get me to Phoenix? Can you guys figure it out? Can you figure a way to make something happen? And so then... They figure out maybe, just maybe, if we keep this on the DL, extra D and extra L, then maybe we get this thing done by the deadline, right? And Matt Ishbia, I don't know if you know this, friends with Josiah. They've had each other's phone numbers. Matt Ishbia came to a bunch of Nets games really to just kind of see what it's like to own a team. And the deal that James Jones turned down because Mikhail Bridges was in that deal and Cam Johnson was in that deal and a bunch of unprotected firsts were in that deal, finally just said, you know what, man, what do you think, Matt? And Matt was like, okay, what's the luxury tax? And they're like, this is going to put us bad in the luxury tax. We're going to get like $40 million in the luxury tax. And our man Robert Sarver, the scumbag that he is, the cheap scumbag he is, I think he had only gone to the luxury tax for a combined $17 million through the entire course of his ownership. So $40 million for Kevin Durant in the luxury tax, everybody's like, oh, my God, what's Ishbia going to say? And he was like, do it. Do it right now. Let's go. Absolutely. And then they were like, also, I know that we said we wanted Cam Johnson and we wanted Mikhail and we wanted four first round unprotected, but like, and we know that we said that was a deal. But we also kind of want Jay Crowder too. And they're like, that's enough. We're not doing the deal. See you later. And then Matt Ishbia goes to a meeting and he's sitting there and he's thinking about trading for John Collins, right? And that was the other deal that they had on the plate. Can we get John Collins? John Collins, nice player. He's been on the trade block for four or five years now. And he's like, man, Matt Ishbia knows what it's like to see the property. Because he's a mortgage guy. See your dream home and, like, balk at the price. You go to the next house and you're like, just don't like the bathroom. Mm. Closet, kind of tiny. This guy, John Collins, he happens to not be anywhere close to Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant would move the needle. And so he calls up his fam, calls up James Jones. He says, you know what? I don't care that it's 1 in the morning, East Coast Standard Time. <coughs> Let's do the deal. So they hit up Joe Sy, They hit up Sean Marks. And they're already driving away from the arena because they think the deal's dead. And then they go, skeet skirt. They hit a little U-turn. They're like, let's do this thing. And at the crack of dawn, 1.30 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, Kevin Durant to the Suns. Done deal. Holy shit. So why, though, the question is, why? Why does Kevin Durant only want to go to the Suns? 
Why was that the only place he wanted to go? I have answers. First and foremost, Kevin Durant loves some Devin Booker. Loves him. Apparently that relationship was a key piece of that move. All the way back to when he first got into the league, he told Ben Simmons in 2017 this. We called Devin Booker. We wanted Devin Booker in OKC. What? I wanted him. I love Book. He loves the game. He's a dog. He'll rough you up. He'll get into you. You better watch up for that boy because he's next. In 2017, he came out and said, Devin Booker is the next guy. He's the dog. I'm telling you, it's him. They also then bonded during the Olympics when they played in Tokyo. Remember, it was like lockdown. You had no ability to see Tokyo. You had no ability to do anything but to go to the events that you were regulated to do. So him and Devin Booker were like peas and carrots, like white on rice. Got very, very close. Started saying to each other, what would it be like to play with each other in the NBA? Number two, he loves Monty Williams. Monty Williams, to him, is one of the best coaches in the NBA. Got to know him. As an assistant for OKC, Monty Williams was an assistant when Kevin Durant was playing for the Thunder. Also was an assistant coach for Team USA. Kevin Durant thinks he's a leader, thinks he's a good teacher. And he says, I'm excited that he's back into coaching and walking these sidelines again. I got to know the type of man he was. His coaching style is what it is because of the stuff that he's been through as a person and how he looks at life in general. So really good friends with the marquee star really close with the coach and has a relationship with him. And then what about him and Chris Paul? Chris Paul and KD played together in 2012 for Team USA as well. They bonded in that moment. And in 2020, Kevin Durant defended Chris Paul as a Hall of Famer, saying that he was already a Hall of Famer, even if he never won a championship. Of course, he does go at it with Chris Paul's older brother, because who doesn't? And so then... Kevin Durant becomes a son, and we're thinking, oh boy, we are off to the races. What else is going to happen? Where's Pascal going to go? Where's OG going to go? Where's Fred going to go? And then the rest of the deadline, let's be honest, was fucking terrible. It was trash. It wasn't exactly what we were hoping for. We were two days short of the deadline, and everybody was like, man, what's it going to be? And then you get there, and it's like very disappointing. What happened with OG? What happened with Pascal? What happened with Chris Middleton, who was in the news, that he might get moved? John Collins was in the news that he would, I mean, when is he not? John Collins was in the news that he would get moved. So not a single star outside of Kevin Durant was, after the Kevin Durant trade happened. After he broke the internet while you slept, nothing happened ever since. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So let's talk about because you've probably Googled every trade under the sun. I'm not going to recap them all for you. Let's talk about the biggest winners at the deadline. I've got top three. Number number three. Let's start from three to one. Number three, the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah. Yeah, I said it. The Lakers got something interesting brewing. I hate it for them. I hate it. I do. This team's now better than they have been in a long time. They are deep. 
They have so much more shooters than they had before in a long time. They went from being one of the oldest teams in the NBA. I think everybody was about to get ready for their AARP card, and now there's not a player other than LeBron older than 29 on this squad. So they got very young. D'Angelo Russell, who we know has already played for the Lakers, he is a true point guard who can shoot. He can shoot from deep very easily. He's very much an upgrade over Russell Westbrook in that fashion. Jared Vanderbilt, really good young player. He can defend. You get Malik Beasley, who can fill it up. And Mo Bamba. So they get him, too. And not to mention, they already had Rui Hachimura, who they traded for like many weeks before the deadline. Very, very interesting. Number three, Los Angeles Lakers. Number two, number two winner at the deadline, the Los Angeles Clippers. This is like the sneaky team flying under the radar. Nobody's talking about them. Nobody's talking about how good their trade deadline was. You get Bones Highland, who is not only a, an elite scorer, but he can play make as well. He even came out and said, listen, guys, I can play the true point guard. You didn't need Fred Van Fleet. You got me now. Step aside, homies. Step aside, Reggie Jackson. I got this. Kawhi can bring the ball up. Paul George can bring the ball up. And I can bring the ball up. So you do that. You got that. Very interesting. And you didn't really have to pay much for him. You didn't actually have to pay anything for him. You also get Mason Plumley, a very elite passing big. He's not an elite big, but he's elite at passing, if you know what I'm saying. And you get Eric Gordon for nothing. You actually got three second-round picks for him so you could take up his contract. He can shoot threes. He can defend a little bit. And by golly, he's already been a Clipper before, so you know it's probably going to be fine. The Clippers got so much better as a result of this trade deadline season. And number one, you know what time it is. Best, biggest winner at the deadline is the Phoenix Suns. What? They got fucking Kevin Durant. That's it. You don't even, I don't even need to say anything else. You become the instant title favorites. The starting five is ridiculous. Chris Paul, Kevin Durant, Devin Booker. My God, like just those three, Aiton, you didn't even have to give up Aiton. That's four. You saw it, guys, in and out, and things get really interesting. Congrats, Phoenix. You won the lottery. Franchise-altering trade. So let's talk more now about some of the my favorite underrated moves. Top five underrated moves at the deadline. Maybe more than five, but these are my favorites. Luke Kennard. Yeah, Luke Kennard, who I think is overpaid, but him to the Memphis Grizzlies in a three-way trade is really, really interesting. He's going to be a great three-point shooter. We know he can fill it up. We know he can space the floor, and he gives them a little bit of depth that they didn't have before. And by golly, if I could see anybody else besides Dylan Brooks and John Morant shoot threes, I know they have Desmond Bain. I know they have Jaron Jackson. But let's be honest, perimeter shooting is not their forte. And now they got a guy who can really shoot. Jay Crowder, number two. Jay Crowder, underrated move as well. He gives a little dog to the Milwaukee Bucks that they haven't had since P.J. Tucker. They missed that. He went to South Beach, and all of a sudden, the toughness level decreased. Number three, Mike Muscala to the Celtics. Yes, I said it. Mike Muscala, big man, stretches the floor, helps this team with his length. He can shoot. They're calling him a sniper. I think he's going to end up becoming a very key piece in the championship run that they're trying to make. There's going to be a time where he has five threes or he ends up having a huge scoring game or block somebody, just a key piece of the game that ended up altering the outcome so that they could get a win. Mike Conley to the Wolves, number two. This is very interesting. 
probably the biggest trade next to KD and Kyrie in the three-way between the Wolves, Lakers, and Jazz. So you now finally get a playmaking point guard who isn't D'Lo. D'Lo is not a playmaking point guard. We know that. D'Lo is a chucker. D'Lo is a gunner. Mike Conley likes to set you up, likes to get you the spacing right on the floor, likes to put Ant Edwards where he wants to go. Mike Conley to the Wolves is going to propel them from a team that might not make the play in at all to a team that might be dangerous to get out of the first round, which I think is very, very interesting. And number one, because you know how much I love my dubs, number one most underrated signing in this trade deadline is GP2 to the Warriors. GP2 with Draymond Green, elite defensive combo, opens up Draymond to play the five, plays really good defense at the point of attack, which is something that Steph Curry has not been great at. He's gotten a lot better at. Klay Thompson obviously has lost a step defensively, so you need GP2. If that man can get healthy by the playoffs, if the Warriors even get into the playoffs, but I'm not going to say that, then that's going to be something critical to their success. They wanted to keep him. They weren't able to keep him. And now they ship out James Wiseman, and they get their guy GP2 back. Let's also look at some teams that failed at the trade deadline. Biggest failures at the trade deadline. Number one biggest failure to me, most puzzling, is the Toronto Raptors. How do you go into the trade deadline and say you're going to move everybody? And move nobody. How are you going to go into the trade deadline and say you're going to be sellers and then actually be buyers? How is that happening? You were, you were in the market to sell everybody. It was like, okay, we're going to move Fred Van Fleet. Gary trade, uh, Trent Jr. is on the trade block. OG Ananobi, he's available for sale. Pascal Siakam, he's available for sale. It was only Scotty Barnes who was ungettable. And what did you do? You picked up Yaka Pirtle, who you already had once before. What's going on? Guys, what's going on there? Did you just not get the price that you wanted for him? There's guys that are now on an expiring, like Fred Van Fleet. What are you going to do with him? You're just going to lose him for nothing? I don't understand what they're doing. Number two on this list, most disappointing teams at the trade deadline. The Bulls. What you doing, baby? What you doing? Another team. Everybody thought you were going to do something. Are you going to move Crusoe? Are you going to move DeRozan? Are you going to move Levine? Are you going to move Vooch? No. No, we're not doing any of that. No, we're not. We're not getting anybody. We're not getting anybody. We're not selling anybody. Yeah, we know you want Alex Crusoe. Yeah, maybe we wanted somebody in return. But you know what we're going to do? Absolutely fucking nothing. We're just going to be frustrating as all get out. And number three, our Kings, you know. It stinks. I wanted this team to get Mason Plumley. I did. I thought that was a done deal. I thought that was something that we had basically been talking about all season they need a backup big they need a backup big the non-sabonis minutes are brutal but surely Rashawn Holmes in a second rounder would have gotten the deal done you would think when the Clippers got Mason Plumlee for Reggie Jackson in a second round pick but maybe there's some sort of relationship there between our guy Jerry West and Mitch Kupchak who has worked for Jerry West in the past and so that deal gets done because of the relationship alone I think that's the only reason that happens. So the trade deadline has come and gone. I don't really know what to make of it, honestly. I don't know who's going to be good. I don't know who's going to be bad. But I do know we're going to be talking about these seismic changes for the rest of the season and beyond. The aftermath is there's probably not going to be many roster changes going forward, right? Outside of these little 
jankety little raggedy buyouts. Like, is John Wall going to get bought out? Who knows? Russell Westbrook going to get bought out? Who knows? I'm not going to deal with that. Like, I'm not going to be staking my episodes on where Will Barton ends up. I'm not going to be staking my episodes on where T. Ross, no shade to T. Ross or Will Barton, uh, where they go, which I do think T. Ross goes to the Dallas Mavericks, and I do think Will Barton ends up probably back in Portland because they like him. But that's something for another day.